This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey everyone, Andrea McNeil here with Fit On Tour. Before Brenton jumps into a new episode from the Brenton On Tour podcast, we'd like to take a quick moment to talk about the health and wellness crisis our industry is facing. Health and wellness in the music industry has been a problem since the birth of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Artists, touring crews, and industry professionals are facing countless challenges across the board. From limited access to healthy food, to inconsistent schedules, to physical inactivity, to substance abuse and beyond, we are seeing more and more burnout, addiction, and physical and mental health complications in our community. At Fit On Tour, we prioritize the health and well-being of industry professionals on and off the road by offering programs and services that support our community. Our team has been there firsthand and we completely understand what life is like on tour and have suffered through many of these complications ourselves. And we are now on a mission to help others live better, healthier lives one habit at a time. Please check us out at fitontour.com or at fitontour on Instagram if you want to learn more about how you can stay healthy on the road as well. Thank you for listening, and now I'll throw to Brenton to continue with this week's episode. Let's rock, let's rock today. Out on stage, I get to bring all of these people together for three hours. You're listening to the Brenton on Tour Music Cast, brought to you by people who love music, people who make music, and all things, well, music. You still don't really know who he is, but he just helped you stop drinking shitty coffee on the coffee cast. So, get off to John, grab a ghetto blaster, hit record and play at the same time, and learn a thing or two about music. It's the Brenton on Tour Music Cast. Here's BD. One of the top five most recognizable heavy metal riffs of all time. Pantera's Walk. Played by the late, great Dimebag Daryl Abbott. Tragically taken from us 15 years ago today, December the 8th, 2004, while on stage. Playing with his brother in their band Damage Plan. Columbus, Ohio. It was an awful day for the world of heavy metal. It was an awful day for me. It was an awful day for so many of my peers that have worked with them. It was just an awful day for music in general. There wasn't an artist around the world that wasn't touched by that moment, that wasn't shocked by that moment, that wasn't taken aback by that moment, made them analyze their whole live performance access, security, and just the sheer sadness of it. It was just absolutely tragic. Taken from us far too young, murdered on stage. I'd never even heard of something like this before. And it was just the most shocking thing I'd ever experienced as a music fan at that point. I'm in Liverpool today, home of the Beatles. Today is also the day that Lennon was killed. So, you know, it's just, Tragic all around. I was too young at that point to understand the enorm, you know, just the, the giantness of the passing of Lennon. But I was certainly the biggest Pantera fan and was affected beyond belief by the passing 
of Daryl. So I just felt it was only fitting that I'm, you know, I'm here, I'm in Liverpool. I'm walking around town. Obviously there's, it's a somber kind of feeling because people are talking about Lennon and all the insanity that came with that here of all places in Liverpool. And it just, you know, well, I lost my Lennon, you know, this day. And so did so many others. And so, you know, before you jump down my throat and well, you know, how can you compare the Beatles to Pantera and all the rest of it? The issue is this, we all grew up in different times. You know, the Beatles as incredible as they are and are responsible for so much, you know, we owe it every artist, including Pantera, owe the Beatles so much, but that was that time I came through a different time. I'm a seventies child that came through a different era of music. I happened to gravitate towards metal. One of metal's icons was taken from us and it was the first real music death that I had experienced, you know, as a music fan to the capacity of it having it affect me the way it did. So it's only fitting that I end, you know, my first, you know, few sessions of the the music podcast with this episode as a tribute to Dimebag Daryl. You know, I am a huge, huge supporter of what they did for music, what they did for heavy metal music, what they did for uh, guitar players, how many guitar players and drummers they created just from their playing style, how many bands were influenced by them. It's just, the list is endless. And given that 15 years ago today, my life changed with that phone call. It also changed the rest of the world. And I just want to talk about that a little bit. No guests this week. You get me. You get me telling a journey of growing up in a small town, being introduced to this band, sort of the influence that they played through my career as a musician and just all the other bands that we played with at the time and just how massive this band was. But the tragedy of it is undeniable and the effect that it had on so many people and still to this day, so many people, just the way Lennon, you know, did and so many other musicians, Cobain, there's so many people that have passed far too young. And so this is just a story about Daryl. To me, he was a massive influence on my career. To others, they have their own relationship with them. And it was an interesting one for me to get to Pantera because growing up in a small town outside of Toronto, we had Q107 growing up which was the local rock station and they had like their top 10 at 10. And we also had CFNY, uh, which is edge one Oh two in Toronto, which was more alternative at the time, at least coming through when I was growing up, it was Depeche mode, the cure. That's sort of where that world lived. Whereas Q107 was your rock and they didn't get too heavy, but it was rocking enough. They have a top 10 at 10 that would introduce you to, the top 10 rock songs and you would call in and you would vote. It's when people actually listen to radio, we would all literally gather around the top 10 at 10 and listen to it with our friends in the car. Everyone was waiting to hear this. And so we didn't get a lot of Pantera in Canada that we could get like they did in America with, we had all these stations that would play these heavier bands, but we never had that. We had only a handful of stations 
and you were lucky to get anything heavier than poison at any given time. So it was a real interesting thing for me to how to, to discover this band and then the influence that they would have over me and my career, even now. Uh, it's just an interesting journey for me. And it starts with Aerosmith, Metallica, Warrant, and the Black Crows at the CNE Grandstand in Toronto. It was the first concert I'd ever gone to, ever. And up to that point, I was a poison, you know, warrant fan, loved all the, you know, 80s stuff. And I'm not going to call them hair bands. I'm not going to call it glam rock. I'm not going to do anything like that. They've been classified enough. I'm just saying this is what we were exposed to. And outside of what we could buy at the local rate in the, the local store, which was Metal Edge magazine or Rip or Cream or something that would, you know, tell you what was going on in the music world. That's the only way that we could get any information on bands that were up and coming and new records and all the rest of it. I mean, we almost lived by it. I mean, you could, there was fan clubs. You had to send letters, you know, to the bands and all this stuff. That's metal edge was, was how we got our info, which tied into, you know, let's be honest, what was going on on the radio. So the biggest bands coming out of 85 and 86 and 87, you had rat, you had white snake, you know, you had the rise of guns and roses. You had, all of that stuff that comes through. So some would argue that we had the worst time in music and some would argue that we had the best time in music. Every generation has their opinion. Every generation is probably got their own arguments about it, but I would say we had some of the best and we also had some of the worst, but it was also the rise of some amazing, amazing music. You had your big four metal bands that we didn't get a lot of, you know, you had Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer and Anthrax, on the heavy metal side, you know, you had U2 was rising. Then REM was going on sort of the, the alternative rock. If you want to call it that at the time, it's what people like to pigeonhole them into, but you know, at the end of the day, it's just, it's rock. So there was a very different divide at the time in music. You were either a Depeche Mode and Cure fan, or you were a poison and warrant and rat and, you know, Cinderella fan. It just, that's every single quote unquote, I'm aging myself, but every single dance you went to, it was, it was, you know, you'd play a little bit of Bon Jovi, a little bit of ACDC, and then they play Depeche Mode, and then they play The Cure, and then they play Paula Abdul, and then they would play The Beatles, and then they would play, they would just play like this top 40 playlist of stuff. So there was never any heavy, heavy, heavy music. So I go to Aerosmith, Metallica, Warrants, and the Black Crows, thanks to my good friend, Tim Masterson, who brought me out. I could have been the fifth guy he asked. I don't care. He still took me. So we go. I go as the Warrant and Black Crows fan and Aerosmith fan. I go thinking to myself, ah, Metallica's too heavy. It's just going to be too, he it's too heavy for me, you know? And that was my influence at the time, the people around me at the time, you know, in the neighborhood. It was like, oh, that's, you know, that heavy metal music. And it just wasn't in my world. I, you know, I had a cousin that loved Iron Maiden, but that was it. I didn't have any, anything else. So I go to this concert. And when you read on that concert now and what was happening backstage, that's a whole other podcast. But for now, it sounds like it was one of the most epic shows. And for me, it was, I, it was the Black Crows first show in Toronto, which was 
amazing. Warrant got booed off the stage, which I didn't understand because I was there to see Warrant and I was like, this is going to be great. <laughs> Metallica comes on and destroys the place. And I kid, I've never in my life was prepared to react to 50,000 people chanting, die, die, you know, and I was, I was blown away and instantly left the building as a Metallica fan and had gone right to my cousins who, you know, who had all Iron Maiden and stuff. I'm like, Oh my God, Metallica was there. And he's like, Metallica. Oh yeah. You know, I've got everything Metallica. And of course sent me home with mixtapes of Metallica. So there it was my introduction to, you know, what would be deemed real metal uh, and as heavy as I had gotten at the time and was hooked. So fast forward a few years later, Peterborough, Ontario, Skid Row was huge. Second record comes out. They decide to tour with Pantera and the Killer Dwarfs. Now I'm going up there, same sort of attitude. Pantera, I mean, I, you know, at that point we had never even heard of them in Canada per se. They had Cowboys from Hell Out. But it never got any airplay in Canada, as far as Toronto goes, anyways. Until our friends at 97.7 came along, which started playing all the really heavy stuff. But that's another story. So we didn't get anything. And whatever much music was playing at the time, and for our American and worldwide listeners, there's MTV and all these different things that you can get around the world. But in Canada, we had much music and, you know, um, good rocking tonight and all these things. That's how we got our music videos. Well, Much Music only had a small window. I think it was on Thursdays. and It was called the Power Hour. And that's where you would get your heavy metal videos. So you'd be lucky to even, you know, it would be Metallica. They'd, they'd break out Metallica and Wasp and, and maybe some Slayer. I mean, Slayer was their theme song. So that was rad. But then they would partner it, you know, with Poison. And that's where we would get our new Poison and Warrant videos and, and, do Cinderella videos and Skid Row videos and all that stuff. Motley Crue. That's where all that came through was the, was the power hour. So Pantera, I'm like, Oh, this isn't, I've never heard of them, but then, you know, by all accounts, everyone's telling me, but it's just the heaviest thing you've ever heard. And I'm like, okay, well then I'm not going to like it, you know, instantly being an asshole going up there and not knowing what to expect. So I go up and see the killer dwarfs. Great. Killer band, still a killer band, still touring, they were heavy, they were entertaining, they were awesome, and that was a big moment for me. I'm going up there, I think it was 91, 1991, so I'm in like second, grade 10, I'm in my second year of high school, I'm 15, um, it's just the perfect time I go up, the singer, Russ used to ride around on a tricycle, and I ended up getting the tricycle at the end of the night, it was huge, and I'm, but now it's to me, I'm standing off to the side in Peterborough, and Phil Anselmo, the singer from Pantera, is standing there just hanging out by himself and no one knows who he is. He's just chilling. And I, I remember because he was just this bald, huge, stocky dude that everyone kind of was making the connection that he was a singer from Pantera, but they still didn't know. And then it happened. Pantera walks out on stage with a wall of amps and a strobe light. The beauty about YouTube now is that you can find, I think, at least a handful of those shows from that time. Someone recorded it on VHS and whatever it was, and 
you know, the video cameras back then. And you can still find some of those shows. And it was all over for any band to follow after that. Skid Row would come out and do their thing. And it was, I loved it. I still, to this day, think that, you know, that band was so killer at that time. But, you know, they they brought out Pantera and Pantera pushed them every single night. And it was awesome to watch. And Pantera absolutely destroyed the place. And I was instantly hooked. Became the biggest fan in the world right at that moment. And bought everything I could. Pantera did as much research as I could before the internet. Magazines, you name it. Talking to anybody I knew. All the metal guys at high school. You could find them. They were at the side of the high school where the shop was. And they were all smoking. But that's where they were. Metallica shirts. The whole shebang. Your metal guys. They didn't hang out with the jocks, so you could get what you needed over there. So I go over talking Pantera. Guys are like, Pantera, yeah, it's the best. It's the best. So I get introduced to Pantera, and then they just completely sonically dominate from this point on for me. The guitar sound, the drum sound, Phil's voice. I'd never heard anything like it in my life. And I liken it to people hearing Metallica for the first time coming out of the 70s. And then that was Metallica had changed things and Pantera was the same. No heavy metal band to me had sounded like Pantera. If you go back to that time, there was a lot of bands doing riffy kind of stuff. But to me, nobody got it right until Pantera got it right. And the sonic sound of vulgar display of power, that record that I got was undeniably the best sounding record I'd ever heard in my life. And it holds up now. If you go back and listen to it sonically, you it's just unbelievable. Phil's voice is a weapon. It's like Phil's voice is an instrument. Phil's voice is just wrapped around Dimebag's riffs. And it's unbelievable. It's undeniable. So I become a fan. I'm absolutely 100% all the way in on Pantera. Fast forward to the end of high school. I'd had seen them. I end up having a big party out in the burbs, grade 12 party. Everyone comes next day, Pantera, Sepultura and Biohazard at Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto on the far beyond driven tour. And I'm like, I don't care. You know, I'm going, we all go, a whole bunch of us go down and it was, the band had exploded. They went number one on billboard. It was the, you know, for a heavy metal band, it was just like unbelievable. And I believe Skid Row had went number one and then Pantera had gone number one. And it was just like what was happening in music right now was just blowing people away. It was unbelievable. So I go see it. And at that point you could still only really read about them, except bands started putting out, you know, video tapes and VHS tapes and of their day to day, you know, before YouTube and before everyone in our world now is documenting every single moment of their life on Instagram and, and YouTube and all this stuff, bands would document it on video t cameras and then they would dump it down to VHS and it would sell it to their fans. That's as close as we could get, but that was what we wanted. We craved that stuff. It was two and a half hours in the life of your favorite band and it's not proprietary to them, but I'll tell you who did it the best was them. And their videotapes were 
some of the most entertaining, unbelievable shows of debauchery, but pure metal touring madness that I'd ever seen in my life. And Skid Row got close. They had Roadkill and Oh Say Can You Scream, and they were both really great. But they gave me a window into this world that I'm in now, or at least the world, the world, the world that I'm in now doesn't exist like it did back then. However, the idea of touring around the world, show to show, tour bus, jumping into venue, playing to thousands of people. I'm 15 years old. I'm starting to play drums. I'm like, I am in all the way as far as I can go. So this is what happens. You, you just, you pull your influence and I'm sure there's 15 year old kids now being influenced by bring me to horizon or, you know, the, 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 obviously Billie Eilish is popping up all over the world and there's going to be tons of kids that are going to be influenced by that. Whatever works for you at the time, go for it. I don't care. This is what worked for me. And it set the tone for the rest of my career because I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I had a couple different goals. It was to do Wembley stadium, which I did a few years ago. And it was to play in a band and tour around the world. I never got a chance to, play around the world with the band, but we went as far as Halifax. That was great. And uh, we had a great run and we played with a lot of great bands and had so much fun. And so it started that journey, which led to all these other journeys, which has led me to a hotel room in Liverpool on December the 8th, 2019, 15 years after Dimebag was murdered but 20 plus years, you know, basically the beginning of my journey. So it's amazing what your first concert can lead to uh, and where you pull your influences from and where you pull your, you know, your story from. So I'm out touring now around the world. I, I run concerts for a living now, but I'm surrounded by people that have a dime bag story. Usually there's somebody on every tour I went on over the last 10 years for sure that has either toured with Dimebag or knows his brother and knew his brother Vinny who was also you know who also tragically passed away last year more tragic because it was uh, natural causes and he was taken way too soon from us as well um but everyone's got a story about the Abbott brothers and how incredible they are and what an influence they played on on the world of music so it just is undeniable to me that that he is one of the most influential musicians of all time. And some would argue. Some people don't classify heavy metal. They don't take it serious enough. But this band influenced a generation. And I can attest to that because I, I'm out doing it. And I owe a substantial amount of what I do for a living to that band. That band showed me what it was like to tour around the world. They did it digitally on camera before anybody was doing it, or at the very least, you know, they, they made it the, the best way. And it was like, I got to do this for a living. I have to do it. Look at how much fun it is. Look at what these guys are doing, but mostly it just, everyone looked like they were getting exactly what they wanted at all time career wise. So this is, what I'm saying 
it, it just felt like today needed to, I needed to talk about the influence that this guy has had, you know, over the, the world, you know, and just the riffs and just the songs they came up with and the sheer power that came from that band. So I talk to people now that are like, I wish I would have saw Pantera. I wish I would have, you know, I, I can't believe I missed them. And, and, you know, even before, uh, Vinnie Paul, Daryl's brother had passed last year. All these people were throwing stuff against the wall saying there's got to be like a, a Pantera reunion with just the three surviving members. And Vinny was like, no, it's four or nothing. And I'm so glad that it didn't happen because I remember the legacy. I remember that band. I remember how powerful it was offstage. And that's a moment for me. And, and I feel bad that people have missed that. But I mean, that's my, that's for me. I, I get to take that and something that I saw. And I just encourage everyone to research that band and don't be afraid of metal and don't be afraid of, you got to understand the influence that it had. Don't listen to a, a heavy metal riff and be like, hey, it's too loud. This is something that was, that influenced a generation of musicians, guitar players. You know, uh, they just released, uh, I think it was Guitar World just released all their top, you know, guitar players for the year. Like the 10 of the top 20 were all influenced by Daryl from Pantera. So like it's time for people. And I'm talking about like flamenco players, you name it. Anyone that played guitar has something to say about that band and what Daryl brought to the table. And I'm just so fortunate that I got a chance to see it, you know? Um, and I really think that walk was the riff that changed heavy metal. It was the riff that needed to change metal because it was pretty stagnant at the time. It was rock song, rock song, ballad, rock song. And Pantera changed that with one simple riff. So I get the call. December the 8th, 2004, that Damage Plan, which was the new band that the Abbott Brothers were in, were on stage at a club in Columbus, and some freak busted into the club, walked up on stage, and shot and killed Daryl in front of his brother. Uh, as well as some crew guys. Um, it just was tragic. It was absolutely, I'd never heard anything like this before. And we had just, you know, we were three years removed from um, September 11th. So the world definitely wasn't complacent then. It was on edge from September 11th on. But there was, it felt like anyways, a bit of calmness, you know, uh, there just seemed like it was just so shocking that somebody could end up backstage, walk up on stage and do this. And, and it just was, it was terrible. And I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to spend too much time on, on this because it's happened again, obviously in Paris and it happened a few 
you know, the, the world is out of control right now altogether all on this. So, but it certainly changed our business. It certainly, you know, made the, the concerts were a place where people would go to feel safe. And if you couldn't feel safe at a concert anymore, then what next? Like, what were we, were we doomed? And, you know, 2004, five, six, all the way up to 10, I'd wager was not the best time in music. So I'll have experts weigh in <laughs> on the revenues in the entertainment industry at the time. I know artists were still selling a handful of records, but it certainly was a pop driven, you know, time. And there wasn't a great time for, for music, for metal and rock. I don't think anyways. So, you know, I, I felt like, where's the world? Where's, where's the industry? Like, what's going to go on? Like, if, if you can't feel safe going to watch a, a concert, like, then is that it for the music industry? And luckily it bounced back and the world of, you know, the concert industry is thriving and everyone's doing some great numbers for the most part. I think, you know, we're, we're more secure at our venues now than ever, obviously that's a big part of my world as far as like, you know, it's, it's talked about at every single show and, and we're in so many levels of security now, but, um, it just, it just changed the face of music. Um, Lennon was killed outside walking. Daryl was killed on stage. I'd never heard anything like this before. I just never, it just shocked me to the core. And when my friend Andrew called me, I, uh, I, I weeped. I literally like, you know, call it, people can call you silly and all the rest of it. But I, this was my, this was my guy. This was like my guitar player from my generation who was just murdered on stage, who I'll never hear music from ever again. And I was in shock. I literally just, it took me a long time to recover a long time to recover. And there's a picture on my Instagram that I posted of Daryl. And that was the last picture of Daryl taken in Vancouver. I was in Van This was before I moved to Vancouver. I was on tour and we had gone to see damage plan and they were just getting ready to roll the bus. And he came back out. Now there's another buddy of mine that I know that, Daryl had come out and given a Coors Light to. And he posted that picture today. His name is Brennan Ellis. It was awesome. But once the bus rolled, I know that Daryl had come back out um, for one more kind of picture with the fans. And I got a picture with him, and then he walked on the bus. And I carried that picture very dear to me. My friend, my fallen friend, Andrew, um, who I lost a couple years ago, you know, understood the importance of that of that moment and framed it for me years ago and just, you know, gave it to me at Christmas. And it was, it was just a, you know, a great time, a great memory that I have of, of him. And I kept it as a screensaver on my Blackberry, you know, at the time and unbeknownst to me, I would go to Vegas years ago and meet a gentleman named Frank Costanza, a fellow Torontonian who was playing down there, who happened to be Vinnie Paul's best friend, one of Vinnie Paul's best friends anyways. And so we go and we see, I'm, I'm with some buddies and we go 
and see Todd Kearns, who plays with Slash now, um, and played in Age of Electric, and, and he has a band called the Sin City Sinners. I think they're called Original Sin now. We're playing at the Hard Rock, and we go down to the Hard Rock to go check him out. And it might have been the Adult Video Awards after party, but I won't comment on that. So <laughs> we go, and Frank says to me, Come here for a minute. And he takes me over to Dimebag's brother, Vinny, who I was already like, Vinny had got up on stage and played with Todd. And I was like, this is, you know, a really great moment for me as a Pantera fan to, you know, see this moment. And, you know, to see Vinny up smiling again and, you know, playing music and all the rest of it. So we, you know, he introduces me to Vinny and he says, Brent, show Vinny your phone. And I show him my phone, which is a picture of Dime and I. And Vinny looks at me and he says, you're with me for the rest of the night. I had no idea what that meant, but I was going with it. And so we go out. They want to gamble a bit. They want to, you know, hang out. So I'm just, I'm loving life. Everything is good. And he goes, all right, everybody, we're going back to my place. So we leave and we go to, Vinny's house. I was about, I guess Frank was probably, you know, we were probably 20 minutes or 30 minutes behind. We get to the house, I show up to the house, you know, Vinny's got food out. He's doing, he's making sure everyone's getting fed and he's watching videos of Todd Kearns from Slash's band. Cause he loves the way that he sings. He loves his voice. And he just was so, cool it was just a really great moment and you know uh his buddy bry guy was there there was so many cool people there that was just really awesome and, and Vinny was you know hey show everybody the picture of my brother and it was it was amazing and then he showed me this great stuff that he had of his brother and it was just a special moment for me that i'll never forget and it was because of just that, you know, that moment that I, you know, I had, I didn't, I had no clue that Vinny was going to be at this after party. So I just, I was just there and that, that picture was already on my phone and just the class for him was amazing. And then a couple of years ago I was in Vegas and Frank's like, you got to come down to the Mandalay Bay. I go down and see Frank and Vinny walks in. Same guys, Bri, everyone's there. And he just, you know, he meets me at the bar and I was at the bar by myself. I was going to, I was like, Vinny, he's like, oh, you know, you're Frank's buddy. Um, you had that picture of Dime. And it just, it was a really great moment uh, for me. And just the connection over his brother, it was unbelievable. And I can't thank Frank enough for making that connection. I can't thank Brent Fitz enough for making that connection with Frank. And I, the next day we leave and everything's, you know, I just kind of move on. And I remember Todd Kearns calling me or I text him and saying, thanks for the show and all the rest of it. And I remember him saying, what happened to you last night? I said, well, we ended up at, at Vinny's house. And he goes, well, now you're in the club. And I didn't know what that meant. And then till I saw, you know, Vinny a couple of years ago in Vegas and he was like, Hey, you know, and he'd met my wife and everything was, he was so nice to us. He was so great. And, um, it's just that, that Abbott brother love that is around the world is undeniable. And the connection through dime was 
was undeniable and it connects people around the world. I hear t- people talk about him every single day. And the great guy Sykes tour manager uh, right now, who was Pantera's tour manager has been posting stuff, you know, all day about memories from there. And it was very tough for him. I'm sure to go through the loss of dime. And then last year with the loss of Vinny or, you know, and I, I just couldn't imagine what he had to go through and he's keeping a legacy alive of those guys. So, and he was in those videotapes. Guy Sykes was in the videotapes. He was like, you know, just as much of a celebrity and just as much of a, a part of that band and the, the, the aura of that band, because that's what those bands did when they were filming and doing stuff back then. Those bands were making their crew just as big of rock stars as they were. Big Val, you know, the big security guard who I met years later. All these people were giant stars in their own right because of the love that they got from that band. So it just puts you in that world. It puts you in their world. So it didn't matter if you were walking up to the gig and you were by the tour bus and Guy Sykes was standing there or Big Val was standing there. They were, they were Pantera. They were part of, you know, the family. They were, there was the four guys on stage and then there was everybody else that was a part of it. And it was amazing to see. He will be greatly missed. I play his music every single day. It just seemed like the right day to talk about it. Do yourself a favor whether you're a metal fan or not. Find some Pantera. Find a connection to it. Listen to it for something other than heavy metal. Listen to the sheer power coming off those records. Listen knowing that they changed heavy metal forever with those riffs. How they would change people and how they would write music because of how they did it. I mean, our band that I played with my friends, Chris and Dent, you know, we were trying to combine Green Day and Pantera, taking all of our influences with like Maiden and, and um, punk and metal. Let's put it all together. Let's just put it all together. And, and who do you like? And who do you like? And I'm like, well, I'm always going to lean towards Pantera. So there was a riff in every one of our songs just anything, any of those bands that were coming through that time from like 94 on anything heavy, anything hard. Hell, there's some country music guys. Years ago, I toured with Dirks Bentley and they would play a song, you know, the good old hockey game uh, by Stompin' Tom Connors, which is in Canada. It's a huge iconic song and they would play it. But then this is at the end of the end of the set. Dirks walks off stage and his crew, his guys, all awesome, all rock guys, but it's a it's a country family, so it's really awesome. Everyone is great. And they get off stage, and they're playing a good old hockey song, but Dirk's like, we need something that's going to keep this thing going longer. You know, we want the people in the crowd, like, after we're done, but we want them to still be partying. And he's got a sound guy named Pugs. Hey, Pugs, what's up, buddy? And we were all sitting around in a tour bus one night, 
And I said, well, are you guys Pantera fans? And Dirks was like, I, I love Pantera. And Pugs was the same. I said, well, you guys should probably, why don't you guys try playing Walk after your song? The song, the riff that I started the podcast with. They're like, no, wait, try it. Because there's not a dude in that building that wants to be there to watch Dirks. They're there because of their girlfriends. All the girls are there to watch Dirks. All the guys are there to wait for the show to get over so they can go get laid. So let's put on something for them to leave so everyone's happy. They put on Pantera and the place erupts. I'm not too sure when they stopped playing it. Last time I heard from Pugs a couple years ago, as far as like what they were playing, it hadn't made it past there. But I know they played it for about a year or two after their sets and the places used to go crazy. And it was all the dudes. All the dudes would like lose their mind over Pantera. And I remember Dirk's coming into catering one day and just being like, that Pantera tune is the perfect exit for us. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to take a half point there because, you know, sometimes I'll just throw shit out there and people will be like, nah, but I got to give, you know, credit to Pugs and Dirks for saying, nah, let's give it a go. And the fact that I'm just trying to throw that riff at anybody, <laughs> play some Pantera, always play Pantera. You're having a bad day, play some Pantera. Right, Graham Kreitzer? Play some Pantera. <laughs> so... It makes everyone stay better. So, my friends, I'm going to leave you this December 8th, um, wishing you a great holiday season. Thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast for 2019. I'm going to return in 2020, continuing the music series, uh, the music cast. But it was fitting that I ended it on this note in Liverpool. The town that Beatles from on the day that John Lennon was murdered and Dimebag were murdered. Two iconic figures at two completely different times in the world. It just seemed like the right day to talk about it. And I'm a massive Beatles fan. But for different reasons. And that's another podcast. And there's other people that are bigger experts on that. But for now, wishing you an amazing holiday season. All the best for 2019. I hope everything came to you that you wanted. If not, keep pushing ahead. I mean, start a podcast. Some asshole you're listening to right now decided to do it 15 weeks ago, and here we are. I mean, talking out of my ass, but I'm trying to educate. Trying to show people some stuff. Hopefully you learned something. Huge thanks to DeanBlendell.com and all the gang over there, Rook, Kreitzer, Shug, Jimmy, everybody for uh, the support and hosting me over there. Big, huge thanks to Mikey Pongratz for the intro and putting this thing together for me weekly. Todd Hancock for presenting the music cast every single week. You, the listener, for consistently tuning in over the last 15 weeks, showing me some love, sharing it, liking it. The contest is still up to win yourself the Varia Brewing device that they're going to send me, which is a three-in-one coffee maker. It's amazing. Coffee and metal go hand in hand. So make sure you share this one, my metalhead friends, and win yourself a brand new coffee maker from Varia Brewing. VariaBrewing.com for that. I've had a blast. 
in 2019 putting these episodes together. You get stuck with just me today. I apologize, no guests, but it's just a little journey about Dimebag that I wanted to tell on a day that I feel needs to be dedicated to him and all this brilliance of him, his brother, Rex and Phil together as one giant machine that changed metal forever. I hope you'll enjoy it. I hope you'll download it, buy it, listen to it. Whatever you got to do to get your music, just go get some Pantera. Do yourself a favor. Maybe it'll change your life too. Thanks, friends. We'll see you in 2020. Get more music talk with me, Todd Hancock, and the Toddcast podcast. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify, SoundCloud. Our latest podcast is all about first concerts. Twelve guests share their stories, including the Trues guitarist John Angus, Steel Panther drummer Sticks It In Ya, Saint Asonia singer Adam Gontier, and Ben Harper talks about seeing Bob Marley when he was just a little kid. I was almost 10 years old, and it was in, in North, North Hollywood, Burbank area, a place that it's closed down now, but it was an outdoor amphitheater called the Starlight Amphitheater. Now I tell people I saw Bob Marley. It's like telling people I saw Jesus. Ben Harper talking about seeing Bob Marley as his first concert. Pretty cool. What was your first? The Brenton on Tour Music Cast is brought to you by the Toddcast Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We keep it simple. All platforms at Toddcast Podcast. And you can hear the podcast, full interviews, and a lot more through toddhancock.ca. We'll see you there. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance, and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate.